This is episode number 27 with Community Engagement Coordinator of Vetri Community Partnerships, Riddy Parmar. Welcome to the We Love Philly podcast. My name is Carlos Aponte, a Philadelphia school teacher whose mission is to promote volunteerism throughout the city of Philadelphia and help put the brotherly love back into the city of brotherly love. Each week, my students and I bring you a person or organization that is making Philly a better place. Thanks for spending some time with us, and let's dive in. The Buddha once said, to keep the body in good health is a duty. Otherwise, we shall not be able to keep our mind strong and clear. Reba McIntyre once said, all the money in the world can't buy you back good health. Welcome, everybody, to the We Love Philly podcast. Health is really near and dear to my heart. I have battled weight issues the majority of my life, and I've fluctuated with weight, and I've had a really obsessive relationship with my body image. And it wasn't until I started to get really healthy and understood the importance of what certain foods do to your body that I was able to change my life around. And I'm excited for you to learn a lot from this podcast with Vetri Community Partnerships. In this episode of the podcast, we talk about Philly's current relationship with food and how food is so prevalent in our culture. We talk about how eating habits are passed from generation to generation, and we also talk about the availability of food in the Philadelphia area. If you know a student that's interested in joining the We Love Philly program absolutely for free, you can visit our website, welovephilly.org. You can look for the Enroll Now button, and you can actually enroll your high school student in the We Love Philly program by enrolling them at One Bright Ray Community High School, where this program is offered. Make sure if you do, you enroll at the Fairhill campus. We start a whole new semester in November, so we're still able to take new students in our school if you sign up, and they can join the We Love Philly program and get a credit towards their high school diploma and join the program absolutely for free. If you want to follow We Love Philly, you can follow us on Instagram at We Love Philly and you can follow us on Facebook at We Love Philadelphia. Be sure to stick around at the end of the episode where we do our segment called Just My Thoughts, where we connect an educational philosophy to the episode you just heard. And here is our episode with Community Engagement Coordinator with Vetri Community Partnerships, Riddy Parma. always been a native of Philadelphia? I've not. No? I'm actually originally from New Haven, Connecticut. Oh, wow. And then I moved to Vermont when I was in middle school and ended up going to uh, college there as well. Oh, wow. So why Philadelphia? Um, My partner and I just moved here um, sort of on a whim. We kind of outgrew Burlington, Vermont which I still have a soft spot for in my heart. We kind of wanted just to sort of be in a bit more of an urban setting. He's from Jersey. I grew up in sort of New Haven, uh, more of an urban setting, and we kind of wanted to get back into that kind of thing, yeah. So how long have you been in Philly? Um, I think we are almost going to hit our five-year anniversary of living here. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for coming here. Yeah. So what uh when you're when you're in Philly, since you're with Vetri Community Partnerships, what would you say, and be honest, since you have that you have a different perspective than growing up in Philly, right. what would you say Philly's relationship with food is? That's a that's a good question. I feel like Philly 
has sort of like buckets of food cultures. Yeah. There's a lot of like trendiness that I think lives in specific neighborhoods. And then I think there's a lot of pride and cultural aspects in the smaller neighborhoods and or just like block to block. Things look a little bit different. A lot of mom and pop shops, a lot of bodegas, water ice in someone's backyard, things like that, I think are really unique to Philly. And it's sort of on this like really big spectrum of like these like really big restaurants and then these like small really neighbor neighborly things happening as well yeah yeah do we have a healthy relationship with food in philly i wouldn't say 100 percent. we don't i think there's a lot of under-resourced communities that aren't being provided the things they need in order to have access to those things that folks living about 10 minutes away from them have a really great farmer's market or something like that and then there's areas where people can't afford that or can't even get to it so I think that also is sort of on this big spectrum of just accessibility yeah yeah I have to agree I teach at fourth and Somerset yeah and I do morning check-ins when the students come in so I see their little black plastic bags full of their breakfast essentially so it's usually beef stick maybe four or five different bags of chips, 60 to 80 ounces of soda or some sort of baked good. And right. that's breakfast. Right. And it's just like, wow, I'm at 4th and Somerset. If I literally go to Temple's campus is, uh, what, maybe 10 blocks away, I can get anything I want. Right. But right there, 4th and Somerset, right in that area, that's breakfast. Like you said, those corner stores are on every corner. The food is really, really cheap. And exactly. there's not many options in there. And I can't believe like this is what young people are eating every single day for breakfast right. in Philadelphia. Right. And I think it also has a lot to do with just how much time people have. And then again, getting to those places if you do want something a little bit better for you or if you want something that tastes better is going to keep you a little bit more energized throughout the day. You have to kind of take into consideration that someone might need to take the subway to get to that. Yeah. So I was on your website and I was mm -hmm. reading your vision. It said, children who have healthy bodies and healthy minds have the opportunity to create healthy lives for themselves. So where do you think it starts? Where is the origin of a child thinking that healthy body plus healthy mind equals healthy life? Because I'll be with my students and I really have a hard time getting through to them that what you eat affects how you feel. Like they can't, right. they can't see the, the parallel and it right. blows my mind. Like you put this in your body three, four, five times a day. Like what, what makes you think that this won't affect you? So where does it right. start? I think it starts with education and that's sort of our basis and our mantra. Let's say someone wants to learn how to play the guitar. It's going to be really hard for them to learn that if they're watching someone doing it, opposed to actually having the guitar in their hand, practicing it, learning from it, figuring out what they like and don't like. So that's really our analogy that we really like to push through in our programming is get into the food, touch the food, smell it, figure out what you like, what you don't like. There are going to be a lot of opinions you have, but that's what we want to hear from the participants we have is the thoughtfulness that goes into, that's a little too salty for me, or this needs a little bit more vinegar. And I think that's really hard to conceptualize if you're not actually cooking and understanding the smells that's going on or figuring out the different options you can actually utilize with one ingredient and what you can do with that one piece of kale and actually using the stem of it opposed to just thinking that, you can, all you can do is boil kale or something like that. So being more thoughtful in that way and like having the resources and um, information behind it, I think is where it starts. Yeah. Based on my experience with my students, I mm -hmm. feel like it's passed down. It's generation to generation to generation. It's part of your culture. Myself, I'm Puerto Rican, right? Mm -hmm. So the rice and beans, the deep fried pork, the 
greasy sausage. Like all of these are passed down and you think, well, this is normal. This is healthy. Right. Right. So how do you educate the parents? Because if it's not going to the parent, it's not going to get through to the kid. Absolutely. So I'd say the majority of our participants are youth. We do have programs that work often with adults more than others. I think that we try to be really respectful of that generational passage of food and ingredients and cultural norms and A lot of times there's nothing wrong with those things. And I grew up with a lot of rice and a lot of um, cream-based things and spices and stuff that weren't always going to make me feel really great. But that's what I knew. And that's what I smelled in my mom's kitchen. And that just becomes a norm for you. So I think it's really important to definitely educate the adults, but also make sure that they're looped into what your youth are learning. So we really try to make sure we're doing parent communication emails. We, We like to have parent workshops and things like that. And working with youth is awesome. And I think it's amazing to always start young and they often are bringing these things home with them too. And our goal is for them to gain the agency to bring it home and say, look, this is what I learned today. And like, why don't we start with this? And we often get a lot of survey feedback and just qualitative data about the fact that someone's kid went home and said that they want to start cooking a little bit more corn because we made like a bean and corn salad or something. So that's, it's sort of like a dual way of contacting both parties yeah yeah that's so cool and I, I we got to see it in action when we volunteered with you uh we were at the mobile teaching kitchen i mm-hmm. believe we were right outside the eastern state penitentiary in fairmount yeah and we got to see the whole family walk by the mobile teaching kitchen and see the colors and see the different foods and they go what is this what's going on and the parent goes oh my god that's like fresh salsa and the kid's like what's a fresh salsa and then of course, we're all like, hey, we'll teach you how to do this. And right. the parent takes the lead. The parent's like, I'll teach you how to do it right here, right now. And then you see the little kid like, okay, this is what's going right. on. And being a teacher, I've come to learn that the best way to educate someone is to let them think that they figured it out on their own. Yeah. And that's what the mobile teaching kitchen did. It would let the parent figure out that, hey, my kid might be interested in doing this. This could be exactly. quality time spent. Yeah, Absolutely. they had a ball. It was so cool to watch it happen live. And yeah. Definitely. That's probably my favorite part about the mobile teaching kitchen is that we're able to interact with so many different dynamics. And we often hear that some parent didn't even realize their kid was going to like piece of kale or piece of spinach or whatever we're cooking that day and I remember once I went to a mobile teaching kitchen visit and they were making I think blueberry corn salad which I think to a lot of people might seem like a really bizarre combination and it was like constant realizations of the fact that these two ingredients tasted really good together and then people were thinking about other berries that they could pair up with vegetables and things like that so I think it's yeah it's really fascinating and motivating to see those reactions happening in like real time. What other programs does Vetri Community Partnerships deal in? So I know the mobile teaching kitchen, that's where we volunteered with. It Mm -hmm. seemed like it's just a food truck that goes to different places and then just educates people live on the street, which is amazing. Do you have anything else? Yeah. So we have an after-school program called Vetri Cooking Lab um, that offers sort of a consistent semester-based program during the after-school time at various schools in Philly and some in Camden as well. And we're seeing the same group of students throughout the 10 weeks. So the program's sort of designed for them to gain and build their skills throughout that timeline and ideally walk away as an educated food consumer. So we want them to be really thoughtful about the fact that they are going to be grocery shopping eventually and they're going to be making those decisions too, even if their parents or guardians are the ones doing it right now. Eventually, they might be able to make those decisions themselves. So having that knowledge, we talk about food marketing, talk about uh, food culture. Why are there certain spices that we have available here that don't even have the capacity to grow here but are from Thailand? And that's a really amazing volunteer opportunity. And I think the most special part about that program is that our volunteers are able to engage with the same 
group of students for that 10 week timeline. So they're really able to create a rapport. And when there's returning volunteers that are with us for semesters, and then if their work schedule changes or they're not able to commit for a certain season, it's really interesting and kind of sad to hear the students asking for them and being like, well, where's this person or where's Lynn? So we really have understood that more than just nutrition education and the ability to provide culinary skills to these students, they're also gaining a lot of like social and behavioral impacts too. Yeah, Yeah. it's so cool to watch the leadership of the students. I was on the website and I think it was the Wissahickon Fernhill Vetri Cooking Lab and the student was like, I am the table captain. I have to set up everything (laughs) on the table and then I let everyone in and then I serve everyone and the smile on his face to have that responsibility. Exactly. And to be crushing it completely and be that person. Yeah. Yeah, just the lights that were going on in the faces of the children. It was so cool to watch. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. (laughs) Your age groups, is it just youth? Do you go to high schools? Do you go to... For Vetri Cooking Lab? Yeah. Um, So I would say primarily we're working with youth that are between the age range of fourth through like eighth grade. That's like our biggest hub of students. But I'd say we definitely work with folks that are a bit older. We specifically have a really great partnership with an organization called the Achieving Independence Center. And they are a program through the Department of Human Services that work with youth generally between the age range of like 13 up to potentially 20 years old. And they are folks that are either in the foster system, might be aging out of it, and or are living independently for whatever reason. And we are there to provide them sort of a life skill program where they can gain these culinary skills that ideally they would want to have if they're going to be living alone. And we talk a little bit more about budgeting. We've adjusted our curriculum when we're working with older youth because we've realized providing the same recipes to a fourth grader up to someone who's 16, they're going to be really bored and they're going to be done super fast. So we're starting to pump that program with additional recipes. So they're making like three to four dishes and side dishes within an hour and a half. And they're just cooking the whole time. And it's something that they also have like a special rapport with the educator and the other youth that are coming through. So I'd say that's probably like our oldest age range right now for that program. Is it all Philadelphia based? Like, are the ingredients coming from Philadelphia? Are the people coming from Philadelphia? Because I know it was founded in Philadelphia, right? Vetri Mm -hmm. is the pizzeria. Is that? Yeah, there's Vetri Cucina. There's a pizzeria Vetri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, the chef from that started this. and Yes, he was one of the founders. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And then, so everything's Philadelphia local. Yes, we do have some programming that's in Camden. And we're like always sort of being thoughtful about how much to expand out there. There's definitely a need over there. Um, So we work with the Boys and Girls Club there. And they have a Vetri Cooking Lab program that we've been running for about two to three years now. But I'd say 90% of our sites are within Philadelphia. The food is, I can't say it's completely going to be grown every time in Philadelphia. It sort of depends on where our educators are grocery shopping. So that's sort of one of the responsibilities for our educators is to make sure they're getting the ingredients for whatever recipes they're making that week before class. So it kind of is just like whichever grocery store they're going to, we definitely have to keep our budget in mind. And we also try to be really thoughtful of putting ourselves in the shoes of the folks that we're providing the programming to. So we're not going to be going to a farmer's market and buying all organic fresh things because maybe that person that we're interacting with isn't going to be able to do that either. So we want to make it as applicable to their life as well and kind of ours too. So we try to integrate canned foods. We try to integrate frozen vegetables as well because there's really nothing wrong with those things. Yeah. And we want to showcase that you can do a lot with those types of yeah. ingredients too. Yeah. And those things can actually be bought at these corner stores. Exactly. They can be bought in the neighborhood. It's just they're usually looked over because exactly. tasty cakes just taste so good. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
it was really cool with the mobile teaching kitchen while we were there. I believe they were called Snap Dollars. Is yes. that what it was? And th- can you speak on those? Because that was amazing. Yeah. So that is through a partnership with the Food Trust. And so we're able to provide those benefits to folks sort of as like an interactive thing that they're coming up to us, they're engaging with our programming, and then we're also able to provide them with this resource that they can use to purchase other vegetables and produce that yeah. are being sold around us. So that's sort of the whole initiative and partnership that we like to have with produce markets and food distribution organizations. Since we ourselves aren't a food distribution organization, we want to utilize ingredients that are being showcased right around us. So if someone purchased a butternut squash and or if they're at a fresh for all where they're actually receiving free produce, they might not know exactly what they can do with this crazy looking vegetable. And so they can walk over to our truck and likely we're going to be making something with some of those ingredients that are seasonally appropriate and sort of as a resource of take this recipe card home. We just showed you a really simple three ingredient recipe that you can make in 10 minutes. So kind of taking that anxiety away of what do we do with this thing? Yeah. Yeah. A quote that I read in my life that really changed my life was Hippocrates, the father of Western medicine. That's, that's how I read it. That's how I remember mm-hmm. it. And he says, let food be thy medicine. And it was really cool when I was on your website. It said you were launching a new program called Culinary Medicine. And I was like, oh, yeah. yay. So what, it, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah. So Culinary Medicine is a brand new program that we launched last year. It's sort of like a dual track program at this point. We are, one, interacting and providing similar nutrition education programming to fourth-year med students because we had a realization that med students don't receive any nutrition education, any. which is crazy oh, since they're going to be interacting with patients who very well might just need to alter their diet opposed to yeah. receive medication. And then we're also interacting with patients within health healthcare facilities or health settings, health and wellness settings and things like that, and also providing them sort of curated workshops of all also nutrition education and culinary interactions where we're sort of working with patients who might be diagnosed with diabetes. And it's a workshop at CHOP where it's folks that know that we're going to be there and they can come, have questions, things like that. And we'll be making a recipe that is sort of curated and tailored to the fact that this is great for people who have diabetes yes. and it still tastes really good. Yes. Yeah. My, just using food alone, my stepfather lost 100 pounds and he's all, wow. all of his diabetes medicine. Wow. And it's, there you go. It's really, yeah. it's really the medicine. Where do you think the disconnect is between people believing that food it can be so impactful to your health? Like if I told anyone else that, hey, you smoke three times a day, they'll go, yeah, well, you might get lung cancer. And I'm like, right. all right, well, if you eat unhealthy three times a day, 30 plus years, right? it's so hard to like get through that initial denial yeah. that food is that directly related to health. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I would say, I think it can definitely be first, maybe generational. I yeah. think it's sort of this like traditional thing that of course food doesn't, might not have anything to do with my health in that way. It's because I need these medications. And I yeah. think there's just always been a really big emphasis on the fact that medicine is the answer always. And there's just been so many medications that have been curated and designed for really specific symptoms, whereas people are forgetting that food has is also in the same boat of the fact that in ancient Asia, all of these spices are curing tons of things yes. that we're not realizing. Um, something my mom always said to me when I was younger that has stuck with me was when she, so she grew up in India, she was born and raised there. 
And she would she went to a boarding school. And when they had recess and anyone got like a, a scrape or fell and they had a little cut, they would just take a huge handful of turmeric and just slap it on the cut. And it was an antibiotic. It was not going to let it get infected. And it also helped the swelling. So that's something that's always stuck with me. And we're now talking about that a lot more. And we're talking about all these different plants and spices that you're probably not going to think of that first when you're thinking about this ingredient. And it might seem like an unfamiliar thing to you, but there's so many different yeah. benefits to it other yeah. than the fact that it tastes pretty good too. Yeah. yeah. It's preventative medicine instead exactly. of reactionary. By the time diabetes shows up, that's been building in your system for so long and now it's showing on the outside and now right. you're trying to solve it when the medicine can be preventative if you exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's also this like whole cycle that sometimes goes unrecognized of you're taking these medications and then you gain you sort of gain these symptoms because of that medication so you go on another medication to eliminate that one symptom whereas like if you just really thought about what you're consuming how you're consuming it what your activity looks like on a day-to-day basis those things could really eliminate all of those medicines Yeah. yeah So have you been able to measure the impact that Veterinary Community Partnerships has had in Philadelphia? Yeah. So we are slowly but surely trying our best to gain as much data as we can. And we're really, and I think, in a good spot right now of understanding what questions we really want to answer. We provide surveys to all of the sites that we are permitted to survey those participants. We provide surveys to all of our Mobile Teaching Kitchen participants. And specifically with Mobile Teaching Kitchen, we've had a lot of success in gaining qualitative data. So we've started a really cool initiative where we ask for as many folks to fill out this really simple survey at the actual visit. And it's sort of just a half sheet that they can fill out and send uh, give back to us right then and there. And then we follow up with them uh, and give them a call and do a quick phone interview to sort of see if anything changed after we saw them that day. So are they purchasing more vegetables? Do they actually make the recipe that we sort of demoed that day? Or if they're using any of the ingredients we demoed that day, et cetera. And we've just been getting a lot of really cool feedback of like, yeah, of course I have. Or no, it was a little bit difficult because of these reasons. And it's really sort of like research and development for us too, in terms of like, okay, maybe we need to adjust that recipe or maybe that was a little too complicated or We don't need that spice, things like that. So that's sort of what we're running with. And we do have another program called E360 that is a SNAP-Ed funded program that we work with PHMC, which is a local public health organization in Philadelphia. And we are working with them to sort of analyze our data and understand a little bit more about, about who we're seeing and what we're doing with that. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. just I just know growing up always something that I heard every year, like Philadelphia, top five most obese city in the country. Right. Philadelphia. And just to have a program that's trying to tackle it at the ground with the youth. It's, yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Thank you. Can you remember the exact moment in your life that you knew this organization mattered to you? Kind of. Previously to working at VCP, I was working at the Franklin Institute and I was working in their volunteer department, which was super duper fun. It was really cool to walk into a science museum every day as my office. But I studied nutrition and food sciences in school and I also studied community and international development. And I saw this job posting and it was in February and it was just this crazy, perfect combination of all of the things that I love and studied uh, in one position. And so I applied and was just like hoping that I could get it. And when I heard back from them, it was just a perfect matchup. <laughs> and it was just, it's really cool to work 
and be around people who kind of just get it yes. and kind of just always want to be talking about food. We're always recipe testing. Everything's just about like all the things I've always loved in my life. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Seeing the problem and being the solution. Yeah. How crucial are <laughs> volunteers to Vetri Community Partnership? I'd say very crucial. Definitely. Vetri Cooking Lab is a program that I honestly would feel the program would be altered a little bit if our volunteers weren't so heavily involved. And I know that because our educators who are directly interacting with our volunteers are saying that to us, they're completely vital. And there's a really amazing cycle of our volunteers turning into educators, which nice. is what I love to see. Uh, and we have a couple of educators who have been with us since the launch of the program, and they started out as volunteers and have now become these like magical, amazing educators that are just like running the show. And even this past semester, I think we onboarded two to three educators that were just volunteering with us for one semester. So I think it's just a really great setting and you really have a lot more agency than you can imagine other volunteer programs having where you kind of can just take on what you love and what you like about the program and run with it. And it gives you the space to do that. And some volunteers will just bring in things that they're interested in. I know one volunteer brought in a jar of pickled zucchini because they were making zucchini pappardelle that day or something. And she shared that with me beforehand. Like, is that okay? And I was like, yeah, I mean, like ask the educator, but I think that's a good idea. And it was something that stuck with all the participants and we were talking about them. It was in their survey. It was like their favorite class. So I think it just gives you a lot of options to be yourself, but also like share that with a lot of people you might not be interacting with otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you see for the, the future of Vetri? I see expansion. I see us growing fairly quickly, but I really appreciate how thoughtful all of us are in terms of how quickly we want to do that and uh, make sure that the quality of our work and services are still pretty high while we're expanding. I know culinary medicine is going to be something that's going to continue to grow and be already is something that everyone kind of wants to tap into. And I also foresee a lot more partnerships. So we're called Vetri Community Partnership. It's exactly what all of our programs are doing. We really are really appreciative of the fact that we don't really have to do much outreach. Most people are coming to us and asking us if, hey, can you come to our school or can you provide us this program, which has always been something that I've seen other organizations sort of struggle with. So it's really nice that everyone kind of sees the importance behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh -huh. as someone who lives in Philadelphia now, when you go around our city, mm -hmm. what is what do you see? What does it make you think? And what does it make you wonder about the future? Hmm. I guess my answer for what do I see in Philadelphia is pride. I think it's probably the most proud city I've ever lived in, <laughs> which is completely contagious and is something that has sort of made me stick around here. No matter what your neighborhood you're in, you're always going to find someone that's just really excited about where they're living and who yeah. they are and what other people are around them. I think it makes me think, yeah. <laughs> I know it makes me think that I think a lot about advocacy. I think when I think about Philadelphia, there's a lot of segregation still and there's a lot of issues that I feel are being heard but not completely advocated for. So that's something that I definitely think about often. What do I see for the future? I don't know. That's a tough one. I think there's a lot of development happening. Yeah. So Philly, in my opinion, changes really quickly, even within the four to five years I've been here. So I foresee a lot of change. Hopefully a lot of that's positive. And I think the advocacy kind of goes into that change. And hopefully the, the change that's coming will be for the better. Yeah. If you could go back in time yeah. and tell the teenage version of you three things, what would you tell you and why? I like this question a lot. I would tell myself 
one, not to worry so much about what other people think about me because it's not even really my business. And I think I made it my business really often when I was a teen and it kind of just like stressed me out for no reason. So I would definitely tell myself that. Number two would be to be more patient with myself and not be comparing my life trajectory with everyone around me because everyone develops in different ways and different timelines. And I'd say my last one would be to make sure I'm saying thank you to the people who gave me opportunity, i.e. my parents, yeah. <laughs> which I definitely think I've thanked them, but I think it's a forever thing. Uh, showing that appreciation is sometimes not something that's in the forefront of our brains when we're teens. Well, I want to take a second to send some love your way and your organization's way. I really appreciate the on-the-ground efforts. I believe your your slogan is Eat, Educate, and Empower. Yeah. And I can't think of a better way to inspire and influence young people than through their stomachs. So for yes. you to be on the ground, showing them healthy food, showing them that they can do it themselves, advocating for the voiceless, especially the people who I know growing up, I was in the corner stores and mm-hmm. I was eating the same foods. And for someone to come and say, hey, this is an option too, mm-hmm. and it's fun, and you can involve the entire family. Like those experiences really, really will impact young people's lives. And I yeah. appreciate everything that you do for the youth in Philadelphia. It's amazing. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So how can we volunteer for Vetri Community Partnerships? Do you have any events coming up? How can we find you Instagram, yeah, social media, website? Absolutely. Uh, we're pretty heavily present on social media. Our communications and marketing specialist is amazing with all of his vegetable puns. So I would nice. totally check out our Instagram. We actually have a little high highlight button on there where you can click a link to come right to our volunteer page. If you're not very social media savvy, our volunteer page on our website is a great way to get involved. Um, And it has an email address for myself as well. If you want to just shoot me an email, I try to post on volunteer match. Right now, I'd say our biggest need for volunteers would be within our mobile teaching kitchen program. Uh, We had a really busy summer and a lot of dedicated volunteers. And then Obviously, most people's schedules start changing once the summer ends. So uh, we're trying to get more people out there because I think we're going to be pretty busy still until probably mid to late November. So so would it be at Vetri Community Partnerships on social media? I believe so. Perfect. And all that's on our website, too, of links to our Facebook page, our Instagram page. VetriCommunityPartnerships.org. Yes. All right. One last question. What's your definition of love? My definition of love, I would say, is having a mutual respect for whoever you're loving and giving them the space to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is called Just My Thoughts, where we connect an educational philosophy to the episode you just heard. So in this episode, you heard me mention a quote that really changed my life, which is, let food be thy medicine. Uh, That was actually said by the father of medicine in Western civilization, Hippocrates. If you're not familiar with Hippocrates, uh, you might have heard the Hippocratic Oath, which is something that doctors take before they become doctors, in which they say they'll do everything in their power to make sure they're given the best care to their patients. I really have subscribed to in my own life, letting food be thy medicine. Uh, As I said in the beginning of the episode, I've had uh, a lot of problems with weight and with my energy levels and having an insecure body image. And it wasn't until I let food be my medicine that my whole life started to turn around. My brain started to get clearer. I stopped overthinking. I lost 60 pounds. I developed a way better relationship with myself and I have been able to use all of this extra energy that I have to be a better service to people in my life. 
Uh, and it wasn't until I got a healthy relationship with food and I saw its impact on my body that I was able to do that. I was constantly stuck in a cycle of eating unhealthy foods, eating close to bedtime, eating things for comfort instead of eating it for energy. I was eating for mouth pleasure instead of eating for body pleasure. I was constantly needing to feed, 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 feed because it was giving me the comfort that I that I needed instead of eating. So my body felt better, my muscles felt better, my joints felt better, and I was able to use all this extra energy to keep helping people. And when I started helping people, on their own journey with their with their relationship with food, I started to really feel better and, and it became a part of who I am, which is why I was so excited to volunteer for Vetri Community Partnerships and have my students around an organization that gives back the power to the individual to to change their life, right? Once you have this new energy, once you start eating better, you'll start to see that you actually do have enough time to get everything done in a day. I appreciate letting food be the medicine because it's a preventative medicine, as we talked about in the episode. It's something that you can start to do on a day-to-day basis. It's a habit that you can start to start to create to keep yourself out of the doctor's office, to keep yourself out of having high medical bills. And once you start to change your eating habits and your family starts to see the energy you have, then they're going to start asking you what you're doing differently, which means that your family actually is ready to change and they want to know because they see the change in you. As the quote said in the beginning, right? You can be so obsessed with getting money, so obsessed with getting stuck in the race to try to accumulate more that your health can start to slip. And then once you start to have all of this money, it might be too late. And now you have to spend all of your money that you've made on trying to get your health back. Shoot us a message. We're here for you. You can leave us an email if you would like us to volunteer for your organization. Uh, We hope you all have a beautiful week. Peace. Peace.